this morning, but as Brother Hoyle juggled my mind a little bit when we were saying about looking back to the past, you know, and about our country, and, and, you know, I remember Ronald Reagan. I'm old enough. Um, but anyway, Ronald Reagan, that's, that's what brought, brought this to mind. Ronald Reagan said this, quote, the family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Our families nurture preserve and pass on to each succeeding generation the values we share and cherish, values that are the foundation for our freedoms. 
In the family, we learn our first lessons of God and man, love and discipline, rights and responsibilities. Families maintain the spiritual strength of religious commitment among our people. It is essential that each of us remembers that the strength of our families is vital to the strength of our nation. Unquote. Uh, very true. And of course, our families, the strength of our families determines the strength of our churches. You know, as the families go, so goes everything else, really. Anyway, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Kings 3, 5 says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee, thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. I've titled this simply, Wisdom for Fathers. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have today to assemble together and to look into thy precious word. Thank you for this special day set aside to honor fathers. And I pray, to dear Father, that you would speak to our hearts especially, to fathers, encourage them, challenge them, strengthen them. Father, help us to realize our need of thee. But Lord, I speak, pray that you speak to all of our hearts and help us to realize that, that uh, we do need you, uh, that Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So, Lord, just work, speak to hearts, and glorify yourself. Save those that may be lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say without, you know, whether somebody wants to argue with me or not, I really don't care. I believe they're wrong. Uh, I, I am like that sometimes. But the greatest need in our society and our churches is fathers to lead their homes. You know, there have been um, surveys and statistics put out time after time after time after time, and, and usually there's, they, they all agree at this one thing. The single greatest contributor to child delinquency, delinquency is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. Um. Friends gave us a, this card one time, and on the back of it, this little thing goes like this. A father decided he would entertain his young son and teach him some geography while doing so. Carefully, he removed a colorful map of the world from a magazine, then cut it into jigsaw puzzle pieces. He gave them to his son with the suggestion that the boy put the world together again. In a very short time, the boy showed his father the completed picture. But how do you were able to do it so quickly, the father asked. It was simple, the boy replied. On the back was a picture of a man, and once I got him straightened out, the world just fell into place. 
more truth to that than fiction. Uh, see, we fathers shape our children. And uh, we, we certainly need to take that responsibility seriously. But I want to notice three things from this passage as it relates to fathers. First of all, we, and we need to realize our need. We need to realize our need. You know, the, the, of course, the context here is Solomon's just been anointed king. He is chosen. He's, he was the Lord's chosen to be, to be the next king. So he's just been anointed uh, king. He's the leader of the nation. He, he is the one everyone is looking to for guidance, for direction, uh, to give judgment. Uh, he's the head of the nation, so to speak. And, and, and notice what Solomon says in verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made my servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. See, Solomon realized that he needed some wisdom other than what he had. You know, David had taught, we know from the book of Proverbs, that David, you know, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, but, but he said, these are the things my father taught me. And this is also the law of my mother. You know, but these are the things my father taught me. So David had taught him, but, but Solomon realized very early, very quickly, that he needed some help. And we need to realize and accept the fact that we are in need of the wisdom of God as fathers. We're not born wise. And we're not born naturally inclined to be so. Uh, you know, we're all, we are naturally inclined to do the wrong thing. You know, Jeremiah 10.23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. In Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, Solomon, of course, I believe it was written by Solomon. There's another name given there, but, but we most believe that Solomon wrote it, words of Agor. The Solomon, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 1, The words of Agor, the son of Jacob, the, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukul, Surely I am more brutish. You know what brutish really means? I don't like to use this word, really. Stupid. He said, surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not, have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended into the heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the winds in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? You know, and so he, as, he, as he looks at God and, 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 and that made the earth and bound the waters and made the winds, and, and so he's asking, you know, compared to that, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm brutish. I don't have that kind of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. You know, we need wisdom. Wisdom is a defense. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, but, but of him 
are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, wisdom comes from God. It is not in us. It's not in us. Daniel 2.23, Daniel spake to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desire of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. You see, we need to realize, if we're going to be a success as a father, we have to realize and accept the fact that we are not omniscient. We don't know everything. We make mistakes. Sometimes we do things that are wrong. Sometimes we offend, close your ears, wives. Sometimes we offend our wives and our children. And we must be men enough to eat humble pie. You know what it means to eat humble pie? To say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. By the way, saying I'm sorry will not take away your man card. Not being willing to say it will. Your children will have no respect for you if you're not willing to admit that you were wrong. So we need to realize our need. You know, and that, of course, that's true of everyone. You know, we need to realize that we need God. You know, many times the, the, the reason a lot of people are lost is they won't realize, they, they will not accept that. They, they need help. They need God. They can't save themselves. They think they can. So we need to realize, first of all, we need to realize our needs. Secondly, we need to assume the responsibility given to us. And it's a big one. Notice verse 7 says again, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made my, thy servant king instead of David my father. Now, notice here, Solomon says to the Lord, Thou hast made. God made Solomon king. The people anointed him, but he was God's chosen to be king. Now follow me here. The psalmist said in Psalm 127 verse 3, Though low children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. In other words, they are gifts from God. It is God who gives and withholds life. And if God makes you a father, it's your responsibility. You're to assume that responsibility and take it seriously. And so, and God gives us the responsibility to train that heritage of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, do not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4, And ye fathers, I don't know why it doesn't include mothers in that statement, but it says, And ye fathers, I think I do know why, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself, a child left without boundaries, a child left without direction, 
a child left without oversight from a father is headed for trouble. He's headed for trouble. You know, we as fathers, we need, we need to know what our children are in, into and what they're doing, what's happening in their lives. A child left himself bringeth his mother to shame. And so it's our responsibility, we're to assume that responsibility, it's been given to us. God God has given us that responsibility to be a father. One of the the things that really really struck me that I remember very vividly um, here probably four or five years ago we were uh, visiting, we were, we were, uh, Going from uh, Youngsville, taking 1A all the way to Wake Forest, and we were we were visiting and docking on every door along the way, and and uh, and I can't remember one of the kids or it was my wife was with me, but we would knock on this door. It was getting close to into Wake Forest there, and and this young couple came to the door. They weren't married, but anyway, and I they began we began to talk with them, and uh, and I tried to use the illustration of how you know God is you know uh, 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 relating God as our father to our earthly fathers and this girl said i have no idea what that's like i can't relate she said i didn't really have a father he left us she had no guidance you know, in a situation like that, it's, hard, it's, it's difficult to explain how that God is our Heavenly Father. And what that does is mar the image of God to people. And so we are to assume this responsibility. It's been given to us by God. And we are to lead by example. You know, John 13 Verse 15, Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, you know, one of the things that Paul said three times under the inspiration of the Spirit is, Follow me as I follow Christ, or be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, be, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. You see, our children should be able to look to us and say, that's what I want to be like. By the way, when they're little, they always do that. I mean, you can be the worst, most worthless guy around, and if you've got a little tiger bite this big, you know what that little boy's going to say? I'm going to be like daddy when I grow up. First Timothy four twelve says, "Let no man despise thy youth." Of course, Paul's writing this to Timothy, but, it, but as a young man, but it, but it, but it fits here. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You know, we need to be an example to our children. You know, none of us are perfect. I don't think it requires a perfect example, but one that is tries to be consistent and when we do make mistakes admit it notice 
He gives us six things here. Words. That's our speech. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, our, young, our, our sons and our daughters ought not to learn to swear by listening to us. They ought not to learn you to, or take the Lord's name in vain or use euphemisms. You know, some people call that Christian swearing. It's still swearing. G is short for Jesus. Gosh is short for God. Look them up in the dictionary. We, our words need to be honest, not boastful, but glorifying the Lord. Uh, so we need to be an example of words. In conversation, that's our manner of life. It's our conduct. It's our behavior. It's our deportment. It's our actions. 1 Peter 1.15 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. In Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and he said, uh, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it, not once be, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So, so our, our conduct, our manner of life, our deportment, our actions. We also need to be an example in charity. The word charity is, is the word agape, it's the word love, really has the idea of giving. But our children need to see that we love them. Somebody said, I heard this soon after we got married, one of the greatest things you can do for your children, dads, is love their mother. Love their mother. Flip this out of a, I'm not sure what it was. Anyway, it goes like this, quote, Father, your son will form impressions of marriage and how men should treat women from observing you in action. If you display affection and respect for your wife in front of him, you're, you help to show the love that is needed in marriage. Your daughter's future choice of a husband is deeply influenced by how you treat her mother. If she feels close to you and appreciates the way you treat her mother, she is likely to select a mate much like you and enjoy a stable marriage. All of your children will be comfortable, feel comfortable and secure when you, they know you and your wife are close and intimate with each other. It is pretty hard to hide if you are not. Marriage then becomes an attractive goal for adult life. See, they need to know. Sometimes I just tell my kids, do you know I love your mother? Not uncommon for them to catch us kissing in the kitchen. No, no, you go rot. But I can assure you one thing. It doesn't make them feel insecure. It does just the opposite. You see, they need to know. And they, if, if, if they, they will feel loved. You know, and, and she is to be, by the way, she is to be first and foremost in the home. You, you, you understand why many marriages, when, when the children leave the home, many marriages break up? It's because they focused all on the children and not on each other. 
and the children are gone, they have, they say nothing in common, and we're not compatible anymore. No, it's just wrong choices you made. Love is a choice. It's a choice. You know, Titus tells us to teach young women to love their husbands. It's a choice. And we husbands need to love our wives. Go to Ephesians chapter, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Notice, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, keep that thought in mind, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, Christ died when we were at enmity against him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives. And then it says, And be not bitter against them. Now, ladies, close your ears, please. Men, did your wife ever do something that you just thought was just... <laughs> drove you crazy? Yeah, quit your line. Or you just felt like it's just, how could I live with this woman? But even, you know, by the way, if, if, if two people can get along without ever disagreeing or fighting, one of them's not thinking. Okay? It, it doesn't happen. Well, maybe it does, but, you know, I wonder about those kind of people. But anyhow, uh, one of them's not thinking. But you know, regardless, we are to love. Just, we are to love our wives whether they are lovable or not. By the same, the opposite is true also. That's what makes a marriage work. That's what makes a marriage work. You're married to a sinner. Wife, you're married to a sinner, and husband, you're married to a sinner. So there are going to be things that are going to cause conflicts. But we need to make that choice that we're going to love no matter what they do. By the way, it's hard not to respond positively to someone that loves you no matter what. So we need to love our wives and our children. We need to be also an example in spirit. That's The word spirit there is not the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the idea of, of having, I believe, a good attitude. We need to have a good attitude. Not be a murmur or a complainer or bitter is a, is a bad attitude. Uh, you know, one of the characteristics of the last days, it talks about in 2 Timothy 3, uh, you know, in the perilous times, is people will be unthankful, unholy. Uh, the idea, again, is complaining. Bitter. The victim mentality. That's everywhere today. You know, Jude talks about the, the murmurers and complainers walking after their own lusts. And, and, of course, 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says that God destroyed the murmurers. Now, we'd have a good attitude. Good attitude. We need to be example in faith. 
You know, our wives and our children need to see that we really believe God. And we will trust him no matter what. That we don't just give lip service, but we actually strive to live the word of God. When things are difficult or there are hard choices to make and, 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 and you know, the whole world may be against you, it seems, yet we will obey the word of the Lord. You know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 48, the Bible says, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth, him, doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was found upon the rock. See, we need fathers that will build their lives on the word of God and their houses will not be shaken. That fathers that will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hey, the nation of Israel was full of idols even in Joshua's day. Josh told them, you need to get rid of these idols. But he said, I'm telling you one thing, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what the rest of you do, but we're going to serve the Lord. When everybody else thinks it's different, they don't need to go to church, they don't need to be faithful, we're going to go to church. We're going to be there. We're going to do what's right. You know, Isaiah 38, 19 says, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. See, God gives the responsibility of teaching the word of God to fathers. In the home, in the church, it's pastor and teachers. It's a great responsibility. We need to be an example also in purity. That's cleanliness of life. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. You need to be careful, dads, who you endorse or who you set up before your children as examples. Paul said to Timothy, don't you lay hands just on anybody. Don't you endorse just anybody. Be careful who you set up as an examples. Do not please set up Christian athletes. Most of them are a reproach to the name of Christ. So impurity. We need to be an example to our children or our life. In every area of life, being honest. Clip this out of a, a paper I get. It says the making of man. When Johnny was six, his with his father, when they were caught speeding, he saw his father hand the officer a $5 bill. There was no ticket. 
when Johnny was 10, he broke his glasses on the way to school. He heard his mother tell the insurance company that they had been stolen, and she collected $27. When Johnny was 15, he made right guard on high school football team. His coach, coach taught him to block and at the same time hold the opposing guard back by grabbing his shirt. He was cautioned not to let the official see him do it. When Johnny was 16, Johnny took a summer job at a large market. His job was to put the overripe fruit on the bottom and the good fruit on the top. When Johnny went off to college, he was approached by an upperclassman who offered him the answers to an English examination for $3. It's okay, kid, he was told. Everybody does it. Johnny was caught and sent home in disgrace. How could you do this to your mother and me, his embarrassed father asked. There's one thing the adult world can't stand. It's a kid who cheats and gets caught. Where he learned to cheat. See, we need to be an example. Dads is imperative of us. We assume the responsibility God has given to us as fathers. And it is a great one. But I want you to notice thirdly the requirements necessary. Verse 9 says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? God, Solomon, in his wisdom that he had already accumulated, asked for an understanding heart. Now, the word understanding here is interesting. Strong's Concordance describes it this way, attentively to call together, or to gather together, uh, uh, to consider, uh, diligently discern, to give ear, or cause to let, or to make to hear. Indeed, listen. Now, dictionary.com describes that word understanding as superior power of discernment, enlightened intelligence. So when you're talking about understanding, it, it, it's, it is superior uh, discernment or superior intelligence. You know, one of the things a father... Uh, one of his responsibilities is that he is constantly making judgments. He has to constantly make judgments, make decisions. That's his responsibility. It's not the wife's, it's his. You know, the, the old saying, the buck stops here. That's where it's going to stop. And that's where God is going to require of us fathers how the decisions are made in our home. Not of the wife, but of us. And he, so he asked for understanding. He asked for discernment. He asked also, to, he said, so that he could discern. The word discern means to skillful to think, uh, look well, to separate mentally. So, so what the, you know, to have this understanding heart is to be able to, to discern or to separate in your mind what is right and what is not right. What is best and what is not. You know, sometimes it boils down to which is best, not necessarily what is wrong. And we have an example that follows this passage right here. 1 Kings 3, verse 16. There came two women and that were harlots under the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day that after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give, child, uh, give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the old woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is thy son. Thus they spake before the king. Now you talk about a confusing situation. You have no witnesses. Solomon listens to the whole story. Then said the king, verse 23, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but my son is dead, and my son is living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and get half to the one and the other, and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son, and she said, O oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it, for she is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of who? God was in him. Who would have ever thought? You know, what is more natural for a mother than to yearn for her child? There's no evidence. He listens carefully. There's no evidence which one's whose. Otherwise. But see, God gave him some insight, some superior enlightenment to understand the yearnings of a mother. And using that determined whose child was whose. Now, listen to me carefully. God made Solomon king. God made him king. And by virtue of his request and his position, God gave to him supernatural wisdom and understanding. Fathers, God made you a father. And if you by request and by naturally virtue of your God-given position Seek the wisdom of God for that position. He will give it to you. And only to you. He does not give that wisdom to be a father to a mother. He gives mothers wisdom to be mothers. God, see, God can give us wisdom to lead our homes. Seek it. Seek it. See, Solomon sought it, and he got it. Jabez sought it, and he got it. Amram and Jochebed, they sought it, and they got it. You see, God gives us the skills, he, he promises us 
the skills, the wisdom necessary to carry out the responsibility he lays on us. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. In other words, if God gives you a responsibility, and he is, if he's given you the responsibility of the Father, he will also give you the means to be a father. The finances, the wisdom, all the things you need, if you'll seek it, if you'll walk with him, if you'll obey him. You know, whatever we seek from God, if it's a need, if we need salvation and understanding of salvation, God will give it to us if we seek it. You know, I learned this principle, sort of. You know, it takes me a little while. I'm a little slow sometimes. Quiet. Um, years ago, I was at a camp meeting, and I was just a young whippersnapper in the ministry. And I was pastoring a small church in Lee, Maine. And I'm at this camp meeting, and there's these other preachers there, you know, and one of them in particular had a church of 300. Successful ministry, probably been in ministry 40 years. And I'm talking to him and another guy, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of asking some questions about, you know, some problems we had and so on and so forth. And, and, and this man made an interesting statement, and I, and I almost laughed at it then. But now I understand. He said, I couldn't do what you're doing. And I almost said, yeah, right. He said, God didn't call me to do it. Now, I really didn't understand what he was saying then, but I understand it now. He said, I couldn't do it. You know, he, has a church, he had a church of 300, a successful ministry. But he said, I couldn't do what you're doing. You see, I couldn't. I couldn't do what Evan Francis is doing. I couldn't do what Brother Hoyle does. I don't have patience to work a city. They'd fire me in a heartbeat. <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, you know I, I can't do what you do. God didn't call me to that. You see, whatever God calls you to, he promises to equip you. If you'll seek it. See, God will give you wisdom and understanding to fit your place in life. You know, sometimes I wonder, can I continue on like this in the ministry? But I kind of reminded what Bill Winston said, just take the next step. Just take the next step. See, being a father is a very awesome responsibility. A great responsibility. But we just need to ask God for wisdom, for understanding. Being a mother is a very serious and great responsibility. And moms need wisdom. But God has promised to meet our needs. 
God has promised to supply understanding and wisdom. But we must seek it. We have to realize that we need him. It all begins, of course, with realizing our need of him as our Lord and Savior. We don't know him. We can't get his help. Do you know him today? Is he your Lord and Savior? Have you realized, had a time in your life when you realized that you needed him and repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in him? Dads, you know, it's a daily thing. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom as a father. Might God help us. Might God give us grace. And his grace is sufficient. Might we seek him.